0: Welcome everyone, this is Carlos from Seedcamp uh, and with me today I have a very special guest, a very good friend, uh, an ex seedcamper and one of the most connected guys in Europe, Philip Moring from Angelist. Now Philip, uh, thanks for visiting us today um, and I, I think you have some very big news that uh, you guys announced last week. Do you want to share with our listeners uh, what that news was?
1: Of course, yeah. We launched AngelList UK syndicates, which means that UK investors can now co-invest with some of the best angel investors and early stage funds into their startups.
0: So walk us through what that means exactly. I know that AngelList has built a great reputation of of uh, having some of the top angels in the United States. Does the UK syndicates mean that US investors can invest in in, uh, UK startups, or does that mean that UK investors can invest in UK startups?
1: Uh, Both, basically. We got licensed uh, by the FCA late last year, Uh, but what we announced last week was that actually now UK investors can run syndicates and UK backers, so ordinary people who want to invest in tech startups can co-invest with those people through the syndicate structure. We also have a bunch of U.S. investors who uh, regularly invest in U.K. startups, and that's also possible, um, obviously, both with local and American backers.
0: So is this, is this really the future of funding? I mean, I think um, you've probably been asked this question 500 times. Is, is this the death of venture as we know it five years from now?
1: I think the death of venture is uh, greatly exaggerated. Um, what I think is... You know, it's 2015, you can do everything online, why can you not fundraise online? And why can you not close an investment into a company online? Um, at Angelus, we think that is what should be possible. Um, that's why we run what we run, that's why we do what we do. Um, the, I think the first victim, rather than VC funds um, of uh, syndicates, will be, you know, overpriced lawyers and accountants because we just make it a lot easier to close a deal. Uh, we still have, you know, so very sophisticated investors leading those rounds. Uh, both funds and, and traditional angel investors do so. Um, so I don't think venture capitalists have to worry about
0: anything in the near future. And have you seen that venture capitalists are using the platform kind of as, a, as, a, um, as an interim, as a separate thing, as an addition to, how, how have you seen existing investors, not angel investors, I'm gonna talk about people who are high net worths who might have done this independently. How are you seeing institutional investors use Angelist?
1: Uh Well, basically, a lot of the institutional rounds that, you know, and this is more in the US than the, the UK so far, um, the way that institutional investors invest in startup hasn't changed. Uh, simply the rounds where angel investors participate uh, so they might be led by uh, institutional vc firms but there's an angel investor who has an allocation in that deal he can now bring in his syndicate into those great investments um, and have them co-invest alongside so last year i mean we've done deals uh, alongside sequoia and recent and you know a swath of a very broad swath of us seed funds um, and, you know, this is not about pushing anyone out, it's much more uh, broadening up the type of people that can invest and making sure that they can actually build a portfolio rather than having to concentrate their investments in, in single, very large chunks.
0: So, all right, so first, moving away from Angelist specifically for a second and, and moving more into sort of the larger uh, crowdfunding space, um, what's your view on, on sort of the long tail retail investor? Is this Is this something that will ever become uh, as as straightforward and as mainstream as, let's say, uh, the way that um, Wealthfront and Nutmeg have have made um, sort of public uh, stock investment a lot more democratic?
1: Yes, of course. Um, I think today or, you know, a year ago, there wasn't really a way to invest into good online deals uh, that are in, in the tech space. And this market is just really developing right now. For the long-tail retail investors, it's probably smarter to invest in something like a fund that invests in those kinds of startups. So we run platform funds that basically invest like an index into individual syndicate deals, um, I think this makes more sense for the average retail investor because they might not be as adept at picking individual investments. They have a different risk tolerance, of course, um, and also, you know, they can, in that situation, invest a large chunk that gets distributed across hundreds of startups uh, instead of, uh, you know, one or two or three. So I think I think that's really where the broad retail investor should uh, allocate their money and not all of their money, a tiny chunk of their money should only be invested in this very high risk asset class. Um, However, obviously the retail investor wants to participate in this market. Um, You know, there's a very limited amount of growth available in investment um, classes anyway so more and more people are interested in investing in tech.
0: So with more and more people being interested in tech, do you see there being a point where they lose interest? Do you see a point where uh, are we kind of uh, in, in a phase right now where this is a very new thing and there's a risk there that there isn't enough uh, substance and that there might be a backlash? Not necessarily an economic backlash, not necessarily in terms of like the overall economy, but specifically to this sector, this think, type of structure. Yeah,
1: you know, I think we can all gaze in the stars and speculate. Um, There is, I think there's no question that more and more things will be done online, more and more things will be done enabled by technology, Um, that's why the sector is is very interesting at the moment. Um, There will always be ups and downs, Um, I do not think that in the future there will be less tech than today, Um, so in general I think tech is a very interesting market and will continue to be so for years and years.
0: And moving away from sort of the the platforms and now specifically to founders. So, you know, while you were at SeedCamp, you you obviously met and and spoke to a lot of um, founders, but now that you've based both kind of across many different uh, parts of the world, Germany, I know you have some time there, of course, uh, the the offices that you guys have in, in the Valley. Do you want to share kind of what 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 you've seen uh, is the DNA of, of founders uh, across these areas. What maybe the attributes they have, and what kind of what separates them?
1: I think it's extremely difficult to paint that with a broad brush, um, and it's also wrong. Um, you know, you have prejudice. Uh, you know, very simple prejudices like you know, German people are very efficient, Americans are very aggressive, the British are very polite. Um, You know, that's interesting enough as as a societal study, but when you go to a founder level, that obviously differs uh, vastly. I think what's interesting is that even in the Valley, most founders have a foreign background. So maybe they're first generation, second generation immigrants. um, And also in Europe, you know, things that we've seen at Seedcamp, some of the most interesting companies were being built by founders who were not in their home market when they were building their startup. So either they moved to London, or maybe you know, by London they moved to New York or the Valley. Um, I think what's an interesting thing, and I think what's something that you can generalize, is if someone has the balls to move you know, their life, maybe their wife, maybe their family, uh, but certainly their business across borders, they look at the world in a different way than someone who stays in their hometown uh, for all their life. And you know, these are the people that investors look for. Investors look for people that are ambitious, investors look for people that um, you know, face uh, adversity and, and that, that move to the place or expose themselves to situations where they can be most successful.
0: So are you recommending that the first thing that a founder from Europe should do is move straight to the valley?
1: <laughs> uh, no, of course not. It always depends on what kind of business anybody is building. Uh, There's no question that in the Valley you have a lot more funding. There's a a lot more, a lot of a more mature ecosystem in every sense. Um, But you know, some companies are better built in Europe. Some companies, maybe a company that takes the advantages, uh, or builds an advantage out of the fact that there are 28 different countries uh, in the European Union. You know, uh, I don't need to stray very far to find a good example. TransferWise works in Europe because there are a lot of different countries with a lot of different currencies. So people need a cheap and simple way of transferring money. Um, you know, why would you invent Skype if you live in the US? You can just do a long distance phone call almost for free. So um, you know, obviously some founders from Europe who had to pay long distance rates into different com- uh, countries uh, invented that type of business. Uh, you know, there are many, many more examples. These are just the, the two most prominent that come to mind.
0: So because you've dealt with a lot of companies that have gone across the, the, the ocean to into the valley, what, what are the top three sort of suggestions you have as a founder who maybe has gotten to the point where they're now looking to create a syndicate in the US by US investors or looking to fundraise in the US? What, what would you say the top three things are for them to keep in mind?
1: Well, first of all, you know, you don't just go and get the money. It's it's not lying on the streets. Um, you need to build- It's online, it's online. It's online, it's all <laughs> online. Uh, you still need to build relationships with the people that you're fundraising from and in, in the syndicate sense, just to pick up on that, obviously you need to build a relationship with the lead investor who's leading the syndicate. Um, in any case, I think someone who moves over to the Valley would do well to you know, scope out what they're doing, it might be a really difficult decision to move the whole company straight away. So without any sort of connection or foot on the ground, uh, it can be very challenging. So spending some time over there, building bridges, connecting with people, obviously, you know, participating in seed camp, participating in the US trips and, um, and moving over there after you've met a bunch of people, you know what's going on, definitely makes sense.
0: Hmm. Do you miss seed camp? Of course I do. <laughs> what's the What's the part that you miss the most?
1: Uh, I mean, just walking in upstairs and seeing all the founders pounding away and the laptops, you know, the energy that's in the room uh, during those weeks, uh, like this week where you're onboarding the new cohort, uh, that's just, you know, just a great time. And that's obviously something I miss. I miss you guys working together on that big table. Uh, yeah, it's been some, it's been a good time.
0: And what's, I mean, uh, you know, I feel free to say you can't say this, but like, what is the corporate culture like in Angelist? Is it, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes about Valley working and methodologies and how intensities and stuff. Well, how would you describe like the Valley mentality or maybe Angelist as an extension of that?
1: So Angelist is a very atypical company. Um, it I don't think there are many companies like it. Um, and I love working at Angelist. The uh, the energy is incredible. The ambition is incredible. Basically every founder at every founder at Angelist, every person at Angelist is a founder or will be a founder. That's kind of the thing we use internally. And that's how we identify people that we want to work with because Everyone is really responsible for what they do. Decisions are made at you know the engineer level or the person on the ground, and um, that's just a very energetic culture that makes sure shit happens, that makes sure stuff gets shipped, uh, and that's really cool. I don't wanna, I, I can't speak to the rest of the Valley, um, but I would say that the biggest change for me personally is coming from a mostly human-focused, um, trans- well, um, relationship-based business at Seedcamp where you know, we had a lot of events, we talked a lot to people uh, in the teams that we backed, you know, we made sure that they got funding from our network and we introduced a lot of people. Um, it's very different to work in a product-focused organization. Um, it's just a whole different set of metrics and, uh, and, and uh, key results that we're looking for in, in such a business. So that's been a huge change, but very interesting.
0: Yeah, and um, what, what, what's your time split right now between Valley and, and Europe?
1: Uh, I tend to go over every eight to ten weeks or so. Um, obviously, you need to spend some time with the team in San Francisco. Um, but also, I'm working on expanding in Europe, so yeah, I better spend the majority of my time back here.
0: And, and for founders who, who, who share that, maybe you do you have any good anecdotes of, of founders who have that same kind of lifestyle where maybe they've set up a company in the Valley or they fundraised in the Valley, have a sales office, they have one here in, in, in maybe Western Europe and then maybe dev teams. Do, do you have any good anecdotes there?
1: Um, I have a lot of terrible anecdotes. <laughs> it's really hard to build a remote and build and run a remote team and being the remote person... Uh, can be very, very challenging. I think the key to making it work is for the whole organization to appreciate why other people are in a different place, what that other office um, you know, is capable of and is responsible for, um, and obviously the, on, the person, on a personal level, just making sure that you, know, you have a good connection, you have a good you know, personal rapport with uh, the people in the other office so stuff still gets done uh, is extremely important. I can't really recommend, uh, you know, purely remote work because, especially in the early days of a company, it's extremely important to look each other in the eye and, you know, talk about stuff over lunch. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, we do it and it is successful and it is a lot of additional work and a lot of additional hardship, but it is what we want to do. So.
0: And um, we had we had Fred Wilson at uh, the last seed camp week Berlin, and one of the things he was talking about is how U.S. investors are are and are going to continue to invest in European startups, but that they generally want to delay until there's some level of of traction. Um, What would you you say in your experience in terms of what you've seen in terms of syndicates and and angels, is that something that's increasingly uh, changing because of the nature of how valuations in the valley can sometimes feel like they're going up and therefore the the Europe uh, market feels a little bit like a better deal?
1: I don't think a better deal in terms of pricing is what most investors look for. Uh, I think investors look for a better deal period. So you know, a a larger market, a more ambitious team, um, just something that isn't being done somewhere else. I don't really think that's a benefit for a US investor to invest in Europe. I think US investors invest in Europe because they like the types of companies that are being built here. Um, that are maybe focused on different markets or that are focused on the same markets but just have more ambitious or better founders or greater technology, uh, whatever it might be. But if you think about it, it just makes a lot of sense for someone who has to travel 5,000 miles to see their portfolio company, um, to be a bit more cautious uh, with what they invest in.
0: And Do you think AngelList is breaking down those barriers? We're trying to. Well, do you have any final uh, shameless plugs that you'd like to do? We always like to end with uh, giving, giving our guests a chance to shamelessly plug anything they want.
1: Yeah, there's no shame in this. Uh, I think every startup should be on AngelList. Every startup should uh, fundraise on AngelList the way they fundraise offline, making sure that their connections go the longest way. Um, you know, you connect to your friends and, and work friends and uh, investors on LinkedIn, Why don't you do this on AngelList? But really, to make it a little bit more useful, if you're a startup and you're not using AngelList to hire engineers and developers, um, then you're really doing something wrong because it's free and there are some amazing people on there. So go to angel.co slash candidates.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Philip.
1: My pleasure.